Thanks for listening to the First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco Sermon Podcast. We pray it is a blessing to you and that it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. You can learn more about us by visiting us online. Just go to www.firstpresbyteriansf.org. Now in me dwelling, and I with me Good morning. Good morning. Our text today for our Resurrection Sunday for Easter is from Psalm 16, and it's a poem. So we're going to look today, we're going to look at a poem. And I'm reminded as we as we kind of as as we now take our take a chance to look at at this poetry from the uh from this poetry is nearly 3000 years old. And it's a devotional poem. It's a poem about spiritual life. And the poem I think is an invitation, but I I'm reminded of Robert Frost, one of my favorite poets. You may have remember him from high school. The Road Less Taken, and some of the masterpieces of poetry that he was gifted to write in the earlier part of the 20th century. And uh, I knew some people actually met him because he used to speak at a little, a little, a little college. He was a favorite. It was a girls' college in uh, in Atlanta that was one of his favorite places to go. And I, I met people and met him. But one of the one of the most interesting things about about Frost was his definition of poetry. He had a definition of poetry, and he defined poetry as this, a momentary stay against confusion. It's a really beautiful and poignant picture, isn't it? A momentary stay, a momentary resistance, a momentary hiding place, a momentary moment of peace, as it were, in front of the confusion of life. Now, I think biblical poetry is an eternal stay against confusion. To piggyback on Robert Frost's definition, let's let's attend to the poem now. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to open it up because this poem is has a mystical has has an immediate application, an invitation to spiritual life that I hope you will hear. But it also has a has a has a mystical meaning. And, and, it, and it winds up transporting us far beyond it, uh, a thousand years before Christ in, in, in Palestine and, and the musings of this ancient poet king named David. And it, and it transports us to the cross. It transports us to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we'll, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully get there as we explore its riddles and its structure and, 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 and open it up. I'm going to read it now. Uh, Psalm 16 is called a miktam, and that, that is just a designation of a particular kind of tune. A miktam of David. Take great care of me, God, because I take shelter in you. I say to the I am, you are my Lord. I have nothing good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, the ones who lead, All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who run after another god will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not have their names on my lips. The I am is my apportioned share and my cup 
you hold my lot. The measuring ropes fell for me in places of pleasure. Yes, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the I am who guides me. Yes, through the night, my heart instructs me. I have set the I am always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not falter. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My body lives in confidence. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your lovingly faithful one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your face is joyful abundance. In your hand, in your right hand, are pleasures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, if this is a spiritual invitation in this poem, then I pray that you would equip me that this message would be a spiritual invitation to many to come and know you, to know you and to have you, to cry out, to choose you, and to choose your love. Father, I pray that you would, you would, not, uh, you would not hold the sins of the one who speaks against him or his hearers, but you would reveal the love and grace and glory of Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to spiritual life. I've always wondered, do you ever wonder, what, what is a sermon? What is a, what is a message, a sermon? Is it, is it me just hopping around and saying things? Is it a teaching moment? Is it, um, is it uh, just a, a conveying of information? I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and, and in fact, the way that the, the, the Christian churches understood this, the way that the, that the actual scriptures begin to describe it, is that something mystical happens here. Something mystical is possible now. And that God will reveal his eternal glory. He'll reveal something about himself, about his availability to us, about his truth. And preaching is, is meant to be an encounter, an experience of, and a, a face-to-face meeting with God himself. That's what we hope, that's what is hoped for in this moment, through the word of God, through his, through his words. And this poem beautifully sets it before us. And I hope what we'll, we'll, my plan of choice, my plan of attack here today, is to look at the spiritual invitation to make a choice. And then, uh, then we're going to unpack one of my favorite things to do, and some of you may be tired of this, but I, I hope not. <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be to, to un- unlock the literary treasure of the structure of this poem, because there's a structure embedded in the poem which reveals the splendors of, of the idea of what we're invited to in spiritual life, what we're invited to in God, and it's pretty marvelous. And, it, and, and you'll notice, we'll, we'll discover that the poet uses these structures beautifully in the end of the poem. But the final thing I want us to bring us to is that this poem is a bit of a riddle. There are things in it that don't make sense. We could even accuse the poet of perhaps having magical thinking. And if he has merely has magical thinking, then this poem can do nothing but inspire us. But because I think this is not magical thinking, this is mystical thinking, this is the thinking of faith, this poem can do more than inspire. 
This poem can invite us into true spiritual life with God. And I hope you will entertain that idea. Perhaps you've never truly entertained it before. The idea that there's a possibility now in the moment, in the air, in the, in the sound of my voice, that there's a possibility of spiritual life for you, spiritual life for us together, you and me together, spiritual life for this world, spiritual life for San Francisco, or wherever it is you are right now. So let's let's take a look here, and I I, I know and the, I, the premise of this 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 poem is just so beautiful in its opening lines, which I highlight in red for you to look at. Take great care over me, God. This is translated a number of different ways, and it's the only request in the whole poem. Well, sometimes when when in David's poetry, he has multiple requests he lays out before God, but this time it's just one, and the entire poem is about one request. It's this word. Take great care over me. It's a command in, in the Hebrew. It's, a, it's an emphatic cry, but this is the word for diligent oversight, constant hovering care, guiding, guarding watchfulness. I, uh, it's, it's a cry out, watch me. You got me? Uh, I'm rem I, I, I think of, of a picture of, uh, from climbing. You know, many of you know I, I love to climb. If you don't know, that's, it's one of the passions of my life is climbing, climbing rocks, big rocks. Uh, when when somebody is climbing and they're on the end of the rope and and they're up in the air, and and they, and they might fall, climbers have a, something they they yell out to the person who's belaying them, who's holding the rope so they don't fall, and this is what they cry out: "Watch me!" I've heard it said. I've heard it hundreds of times. It's not even more than that. Watch me. And what the climber is saying in that moment, what she is saying or he is saying as they, as they are doing something is, I'm, I'm afraid. I may fail here. I may fall. I need to know that you are paying attention. I need to know. I want to know and be sure that you are watching diligently, that you are supervising this action so that I don't fall to my death. That is exactly the tone of this whole, this whole poem. Watch me. You got me? Preserve me, guard me, keep me, supervise me, watch over me diligently, he's saying. And I want to be caught up in this. This is a part of that invitation. And then you'll see, because I take shelter in you, because I'm trusting in you. Then I want you to look at the second, the second line here. I say to the I am. Why does a poet look at himself and then talk about what he's saying to somebody else? Well, it's to call attention to it. And what it does in that moment is it gives you the idea that the poet is self-aware. He's aware of himself with God, and he can call out to that God. Now, I want to invite you into that self-awareness right now. As you're listening to the message, as you're listening to the poem, as you're listening to me open the poem, I want you to be aware that you, have, you and God exist as persons who can know each other. And you can say to yourself, you can have a conversation with him that you think about, that you consider. And, th and this, this right here, this, this I say to the I am, this, this posture is an invitation to others. You hear it? He's saying, I say this because he's telling you what the actions and attitudes of his heart are. Because he wants you to participate with him. He wants you to know what he has chosen. Take a look here. I say to the I am, you are my Lord. This is a, this is a, this is some, and this is the possibility of intimacy. I have nothing good apart from you. This is now the invitation to be totally dependent on him. 
Look, I bless the I am who guides me. This is him, him thinking about praise and knowing this God. And I have set the I am always before me. Always. A constant, persevering knowledge of God. The, the, the poet's saying, come on, do you want to join me? Do you want to join me in knowing this God? Now, the idea that there's a choice here that you could make, he, that, that the poet makes, to know God. You can make a choice for spiritual life today. And I want you to be, in a sense, kind of aware of it, almost hyper-aware of yourself in your own skin and flesh, that there's, a, there's possibilities here. And, and, and the poet is exploring them, and he's wanting to draw you into them and invite you into what he knows. You can make a choice for spiritual life. And I, I, uh, you know, it's funny, though. Sometimes right at this point, it, 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 when we look at this particular poem, we're going to see this is a little bit tricky, though, because there's a, there's a question that comes up. Do you choose God or does he choose you? If you look at this, it says here in the, in the center of the poem, uh, in verses 5 through 7, David uses a metaphor. The I am is my apportioned share and my cup. He uses the idea of a portioned share and a cup. And the measuring ropes fell for me. What are those measuring ropes that are being referred to right here? That's a technical term, the measuring ropes. It's back, for, it's from Deuteronomy. And what it describes is God, when, he, when the people came into the land that God had promised them, and when they, become, they inherit this new land, Israel, and, the, and when they, they inherit it at about 1000 BC, 1400 BC, 1400 BC, when they inherit it, it gets divided up, and they actually use ropes. They, they, they all use the standardized rope that had a certain length, and they would portion out the land so every family had an equitable share. And so the, all the tribes uh, and all the 12 tribes and all the members of the 12 tribes, every family, every clan got four. It's like that. It's like we had something similar in the promise of a politician in America years ago, 40 acres and a mule. It, and actually, that idea came from the Bible. There's an idea here of, of, us, of, of, of us, of everybody having their fair share. But, but, but one tribe did not get any land. No, one tribe did not get an inheritance in the land. And those were the Levites, who were the special priestly, priestly clan to serve God. And God says, for the Levites, their inheritance will be me. It will be me, says God. I am the inheritance of, my, of, of the Levites, my priests, who serve before me in the temple. Now, David is not from that tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah. But he here uses that image uh, that, that, that God is his portion. He's using this image of when the ropes were, 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 were laid out, and that, that he uses the image of a cup of a cup overflowing, <laughs> not half empty or half full, neither optimist or pessimist here, but, but radical optimists that we have an abundance of God himself. The invitation to spiritual life is sometimes packaged as, you know, you get free from some sort of guilt package and forgiveness. And it certainly means that. It certainly means that. But it doesn't only mean that. It, the invitation to spiritual life is an invitation to all that God is. He himself comes to you. Union with God is what is possible in the poet's mind. It was what possible, it's, it's the only thing that makes Christianity a living force in the world. It's the idea 
that we can be unified and we one with God, that he can be our portion and he, he can be indeed our beautiful inheritance. <laughs> you see, now there's something uh, wonderfully possessive about this in da when David says it. One of the, one of the commentators, I just happened to notice this uh, uh, more than one, that, that David's like saying that God, God is his personal inheritance himself. He's like, remember we saw a couple of weeks ago that that God that, that that David had a sense of being God's favorite. Well, that's the same. That's the same language as being used here. The invitation to spiritual life is an invitation to God's favor, a sense of God's looking upon you and knowing you. You know, I shared a couple of weeks ago a story of me with a friend talking about experience of having the sense of being God's favorite. And I, I shared out some, some people don't have, don't experience that. And my dad shared with me, he said, Chris, I, I realized as you were saying that, and you were talking about people not experiencing it, that I, I have never experienced being God's favorite. And, but that, that's not where I want to leave that. What was wonderful, but what my dad said was he began, he's begun to pray. He's, uh, he's begun to pray that God would do that for him. Because we're asking the question here, he, and the idea of an apportioned share and cup, that God holds his lot, that I bless the I am who guides me, that David's choice, the poet's choice for God, is a part of God's choice for him. And, to, and they're not in any conflict. Now, some of you will say to me, I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with the idea that God chooses things. And I know that this opens up a, a, whole, a whole world of questions for a lot of people. But I'm going to challenge you. Those questions don't really help us. They don't get us anywhere. And that the idea that God chooses is just something that he reveals in his word. And the fact that we choose is something he also reveals. And we don't need to be clever. We don't need to try to figure it out. But what we do need is to put ourselves before God's choices, like little children. How do you respond to the fact that God chooses? I remember, again, going back to my climbing equipment, I did a, a show and tell in Ian's school one time where I brought in all my climbing gear. I think it was Ian, it may have been Alex, I can't remember. But I, but I brought in all my climbing gear, and it's all it's all these beautiful machines and 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 uh, a marvelous uh, devices that you use in rock and colorful ropes so you can see them easily. Well, I asked who would like to help me into this room of children. Who would like to help me with my climbing gear? And there were probably fifteen to twenty children. How many hands do you think went up when I asked for help with my climbing gear? Well, there were ten or fifteen children, so thirty hands went up. All oh, both hands. Everybody wanted to be a part of this little experience of this show and tell. Well, that is our response to God's choosing. If God is choosing in the world and God is choosing to reveal his love, what can we do but say, choose me? Why not? What are you afraid of? Choose me. Let your choice be me. Let my choice be what this, what this, what this poet, poet uh, 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 describes. You know, Christ is very aware of this, and this is what he said. No one comes to me, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
Ask God to draw you. Ask God to draw you into deeper spiritual life. Make it his business and his work. Let, let you become available and invite this in by your choice today to call to this God the way that the, the, the poet is modeling for you. You are my Lord. I am no good apart from you. That's the beginning of spiritual life. And you're invited to do that. You can do it while I'm talking right now. You can do it after we're done. You can do it in a lonely place tonight. You can do it in secret. You can ask, you can talk to me and I'll help you. I'll walk you through it. But let's do this. And let's be a far, part of, of God's, a, a part of God's drawing, a part of God's wonderful drawing us in to his life. The invitation. You know, but the invitation is not is not merely there. Sometimes uh, a lot has happened in, in Christianity to to call people to invite them to spiritual life, right? I mean, that's the whole idea of a, of an altar call or 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 a conversion or even evangelism. But I want you to see it's never abstract. God choosing God and God's choice of us always means connection with a people. Look at the. I don't know if you noticed this when we were reading it in verses three and four. There's a little, almost, it seems a little bit out of place in the poem. Uh, uh, David, uh, the poet, he, 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 has this, he declares himself to God, and then he talks about his love and connection with other holy, the holy, the holy people in the land, the ones who lead, and his delight in them. Isn't that strange? But it shouldn't be strange to us at all. Because if you have spiritual life and you hear the invitation, then you're being invited into the spiritual life of others. You see, there is no man and his God or woman and her God, and that's it. If that is true, if there's a true connection that happens spiritually, what happens is that manifests itself in what? In loving connection to others. I, I want to encourage you. We're going back to back to physical worship as, as soon as we as, as is permitted and possible and wise. But I, I you know, I, I want to reiterate something. I am not interested in merely getting church attendance up or getting people warm bodies on a Sunday morning. That is, that is meaningless if it is not a part of our dedication to one another because of our love for God. In other words, a love for God always manifests itself in love for others and delight in his people. And it will always be so. And, 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 and so when people try to claim that they spiritually know God, but they don't care about Bible study or they don't care about interaction with God's people, then, then, then there's, a, there's a practical atheism in that. There's death in that. It's not, it's not spiritual life. Spiritual life compels us and draws us. And I know a lot of you don't like church, and I, I've had my days when I don't like church, and but I'm not interested in any of that even. I'm interested in, in the living, vital community created by the presence of spiritual connection and life to God. And that is something that causes delight, transformation. But you'll notice David has two things he says. The poet, the poet, he delights in these people, but he won't have anything to do with this community. What is this community? The sorrows of those who run after another God. What is this community? Well, this is the community of idolatry, and the community of idolatry is rampant in our world today. Let us not even take their names on our lips. What am I talking about? 
It is not for you, O Christian. And when you know God, when you're invited into spiritual life, you'll be freed from something, something beautiful. And that is allegiance to political parties, left and right, or allegiance to different perspectives and different ideas and interpretations. They have nothing to do with us, do they? No, because we know our God. We do not have, they multiply. And if, and this idea of multiplication, that their sorrows multiplies, this idea of just an increase in a multiplication of a party spirit, one against the other. Drink offerings of blood. Who drinks blood? This is this is this is uh, this is cannibalistic. This is this is this is awful. It's ugly. I will not even put their names on our lips. And 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 again and again in this generation, we're seeing people who claim to have spiritual life taking that spiritual life and saying it exists in their allegiance to some political political idea. Let's have nothing to do with these idols, these communities of idols. Uh, and, and they have nothing, uh, we, we are not, that's not our allegiance. Our allegiance is to one another in love. And faith manifesting itself in love is the coming of a new kingdom. And David knows that. David sees it. He sees that spiritual life means this and it creates it. It creates new passion for others, new love that sacrifices for others, and new clarity that I am not that. I am not a part of that parity spirit on that side, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. All of it means nothing to God. Praise him. Know him. Be released from a communities of idols. Let us be together a community of love forged around the choice for, 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 for spiritual life. Do you hear the invitation? Are you, are you feeling a little compelled? Are you feeling a, perhaps a movement? To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That's how important your connection with is with other Christians. But let's now, I said we were going to look at the, cho- the, the invitation to a choice, and I hope you heard it, and I hope you will choose life, the choose the life that God has chosen to reveal to you in my words today or through you listening to this some later point. It's amazing. You're part of something going on in the world, the revelation of God, I think, through poetry, through this poem. But the poet wants to do something else. The poet has a level of structure. Now, now in our, in our tradition, the Petrarchan sonnet was probably the most powerful uh, poetic structure we use in the West. In the West. And that is a, a set of four quatrains, four se- three sets of four lines. So it's 12, a 12-line poem. And the last two lines have, have a rhyme couplet. They, they kind of answer it, 14 lines total. Now, so, so uh, uh, this is the sonnet. It's a very haughty structure. It's, it's 10 beats per line iambically, which means it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And then there's usually a rhyme scheme, A, B, B, A, or A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, and so on and so forth. Now, that poetic structure is unknown to the ancients, and it's unknown in Hebrew, and it wouldn't work in Hebrew anyway, because Hebrew is inflected. So everything, in a sense, could rhyme. It's not, it, rhyming's not hard with it, languages that are inflected, that have endings that are similar for the second person plural, let's say. They all sound the same. It would be like everything ending in ing. It's very, very easy to make poems that do that, and it's too easy in these ancient languages. So what he does is, instead of using the, the words that way, he uses ideas that way. And in fact, there is an extraordinary poetic structure. And this structure is, has a design to invite you into the abundance of God. Let's take a look at it. 
Now, you've heard me talk about this before, that the, the, the key, the most pr prominent and, and universal Hebrew, Hebrew structure is something called a chiasm. And, and that's its technical word. But what it is, it's an Oreo cookie of glory. What do I mean? Here's the, here's the top half of the Oreo cookie. He is at my right hand. And the other, the other bottom half of the Oreo cookie is right here, in your right hand. You see? Now that creates the, the two sides of, of this sandwich, of this, little, of this little treat, of this poem. This is uh, helpful for us to look at its meaning. And what this tells us is that the middle bit is the good stuff. And when I remember eating Oreo cookies, I would separate the halves, and then I would try, I remember as a laborer, I would try to get that creamy white bit off, if I could get it off in one little pan, I don't know if you've ever done this, and then eat the chocolate and then eat the, I, I did this little, I used to do it all the time when I was a kid. Well, we're going to do that, at, we're going to do that as we look at the poem and look at its invitation. We can't look at it in great detail, but we can look at it quickly and briefly, because in between, in this chiasm, in this Oreo cookie, the center, the center bits I mean, it's amazing. There are three sets of three. Come, the structure says. Come, the poet says. I told you about the measuring lines. I've told you about communities. But come, he says. <laughs> These three threes are amazing. And the invitation to spiritual life is always an expansive one. It's bigger. It's an invitation to more than you were guessing, even more than you were hoping for. I hope you hear the invitation into the spiritual life in God. What's the first thing? The first set of threes. I will not falter. They're all in the negative. You will not abandon. You will not let your lovingly faithful one see corruption. Here within the structure, in this beautiful sets of three threes, is the first promise. No possibility of harm. A peace against all possible threats. That's an invitation to his spiritual life. Wow. Look at how he develops this set of threes with another set. And this is the, the set of, 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 of wholeness. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My body lives in confidence. The first set of three said there's no possibility of harm. Here is there's no disintegration. No disintegration. You ever heard the idea of being disintegrated? <laughs> being, I remember that the, if you ever watched uh, science fiction, like of a laser, some sort of phaser that that, de that that takes apart all the molecules of something and 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 destroys it completely. It's very neat and tidy in in those in those shows. But the idea here is that we are we we're faced with a, a, a decay. We are faced with being not being integrated. You see. That's what death and, and, and being faltering and, 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 and decay and corruption mean. And so we have a possibility for wholeness. My heart is glad. My body, it's the whole being. Actually, in, 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 in Hebrew, this whole being, the word is glory. All of my glory rejoices. And that, that word of glory can refer to the whole human, the whole person. There's a possibility in the invitation to spiritual life is an invitation to what? Wholeness, completion, to become a whole person in him. But it gets better than that. For it's not just an invitation to that. It's an invitation into transcendent joy. This is, this is the hope for you, Robin, in, in the hospital room. 
You make known to me the path of life, joyful abundance, pleasures forever. What is this sets before us? The, the, the hope, the deep, rich hope that's in spiritual life. It, they, see, it's, it's transformational and it's exalted. It's, it's transcendent and it gives us hope for something greater. So, and you see now in these three threes that I just unpacked for you, there's a deep intentionality in the crystalline almost structure of the poem. You see, the poet is eager. He is excited that you you hear the three the three things you never need to fear, and the three th the three the three the three ways their wholeness is being described and praised, and finally these transcendent joys from his face, his hand, and knowing him. This is what spiritual life is offering. It's offering a multiplied joy. Notice how they those who run after another their their sorrows will multiply. This is an answer to that. Those who come to God and choose spiritual life in Him, what will happen? Your joys will multiply. You will know wholeness, a lack of fear, and the sweetness of a transcendent joy. That's what's possible now in this little invitation. I invite you. I invite you into it. Now, that's the poem from David. I think that, in a sense, I, what I've done is I've unpacked this and, and the images so that, so that you will hear the invitation. Here is awareness. Now, but but there's, isn't there more here? There's something else happening here, isn't there? And, 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 and if, you're good, if you're good, if you're attentive to your scripture, some of you will see it right away because you know this is referred to in the first great sermon in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2. But what I want to draw call attention to you is remember this is the top of the Oreo cookie, this is the bottom half of the Oreo cookie to this to the center bit. But I, I want the center bit is is extraordinary. You will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your lovingly faithful one see corruption. How is that not magical thinking? Now, I, that, that, that's extraordinary. That, that's a hope to escape the law of thermodynamics and the inevitable decay of matter. This is a bold claim. And, 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 and usually when we come across really, really big, big, big ideas like this, big claims, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this kind of thing? You see, have you reckoned or did you, and maybe, maybe you heard my call to think about spiritual life for the first time today. Maybe you're beginning to entertain your mind and you come to this and you go, Chris, how is, how is that promise real? How is that not merely magical thinking? What is magical thinking? It's when you think that the, if you think about good things, good things will happen to you. And if you have a good attitude, then good things come from you in the universe. This is, that's magical thinking. That is not spiritual life. So what is happening here in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the promises of such size? There's another riddle here, too. He is at my right hand, and then in your right hand. David talks to God in a way that nobody ever has before him, and I know very few people ever have since. He sees God as an attendant to him at his right hand, his strength. 
He places God in, in a subordinate position to himself. And then he places God in a superior position in his right hand. At one moment, this God is at his right hand, and at the other moment, he's at his right hand. And you're, it's a little bit confusing. The language pulls us back and forth. It describes imminence, God at your right hand. God humbly somehow being the servant of the poet. And then God, we're at his, what does this riddle mean? What is this riddle of being his right hand, being at his right hand, and him being our right hand? What does that mean? It's a riddle of imminence and transcendence that just boggles the mind. Now, these riddles that are here in the text, these riddles of a total conquering, and even this riddle here, pleasures forever, you know, I, I uh, sometimes it's said that the Old Testament Hebrews did not have a, 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 a vision of heaven. That's, that's false. It, for eternal pleasures are what he's aiming at, and God's presence and face and joyful abundance. He is looking forward to a knowledge of God. But what resolves this eternal idea? What resolves this right hand problem, this right hand that doesn't make sense? What, what re- it's this one. It's this right here. You're lovingly faithful one. You know that, you actually may have heard this word, Hasidim, Hasid. There's a sect of Jewish people who who call themselves the lovingly faithful ones, those of Hesed, the Hasidim. That means they are the specially, they are the specially chosen, holy, and specially anointed ones. Their name itself that they claim is of a privileged position with God. Now, I don't think they have that in that name. But this is talking about somebody else. You see, the poem and all this invitation to spiritual life, as David opens his heart, as he opens up the choices of God, as he opens up the magnitude of the of this of this structure that describes all these possible benefits, he begins to speak in a mystical way now. And and I know some of you are going to go, that's just a tall order, Chris. But I'm telling you that, and I proclaim to you, that these words are not, is not merely a poem, but that God himself, by his spirit, filled the poet. And the poet David says things that don't make sense about himself, that are express a magical thinking that's really mystical thinking, isn't it? And that is the idea he's talking about, some lovingly faithful one who will never see the decay of their body. Who could that be? Well, of course, you know the answer to the riddle, if you know, if you know why we're celebrating Easter so, so, so strongly. This is talking, this is prophetically imaging forth Jesus. This is a bigger invitation in the riddle than we ever guessed, you see, because it's very tempting to think of this as just wishful thinking, even for a spiritual life. Maybe even think that when I said, when I invited you to consider spiritual life for yourself, you're probably thinking, that's, that's, I wish I could, Chris. I wish I could hope for things like that. I wish I believed spiritual life was real. And I'm asking you, ask the God of the universe, the God who created all things and who, and who sends his son here, the lovingly faithful one, ask him to come to you, to draw you to him. You don't have to try to make yourself believe something you don't believe. You don't have to do, I'm not trying to do that with you. I'm not trying to make you believe it. Ask him to make you believe it. It's what he did to me, and it's what he can do and will do in you. 
but this interpretation was 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 the first the first sermon of Peter. And and this is, listen to how Peter unpacks it because it, it actually in the previous verses to this famous passage, this famous sermon, he has just quoted what we just read that that perfect chiasm. He just quoted it, brothers. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, to hell, to the grave, right? Nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, uh, out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is the moment. So uh, I said that, remember Robert Frost's definition of a poem as kind of a momentary stay against the confusion of this world? This poem that we've been looking at is an eternal buttress and fortress and shelter against the confusion and darkness and death and fear that this world is assaulting us with. And the assault is endless. But do not be afraid, for Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because he was a man, he could die. But because he was God and man in full form, he could not stay dead and rose from the dead with power. And, and that is now a message of hope. All those ideas of, 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 of abundant joy and you can have those things now. You can have a new kind of life now. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation into spiritual life. We began with this in worship. With this, and this was in our call to worship. And this is that moment when Jesus is talking to Martha, whose brother just died. And Martha had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, and she was, but she was so confused. And Jesus had set this up because he wanted to review, he wanted to be able to say this to her, and he says it to you. And he asks her a question, and I think he asks her a question today, and I hope you hear the invitation to believe this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, still he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That question seems as fresh in this moment as it was 2,000 years ago when Christ asked, do you believe this? I don't know if I expect you right in this moment to fall to your knees and ask God to, and cry out the way the poet does for, for this life in God and, and, and into your spirit and, and, and asking him for spiritual life. I don't know if I expect that or not. Maybe you're doing that inside your head and heart. Maybe you'll do it later today in some quiet place. Maybe you'll just do it and not tell anybody. <laughs> that's, that's the way I know some people have done it. But I hope you hear 
this, this question lingers with you. I hope it works on you. I hope it worms its way into your heart and mind. And I hope the invitation of the poet, the invitation that Jesus is making to draw you to himself, the invitation in his choices, the invitation in the way that that beautiful poem opened up those three threes, you know, freedom from a fear of death, free, uh, freedom into wholeness and freedom into transcendent joys. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? But having heard all that, that you finally will know, you will get the answer to the riddle. Who is the lovingly faithful one who never saw corruption and gives us hope that death is not, not going to destroy us? Why, why the poet was mystically talking and inviting us. Even that poet was inviting us to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy is your name. We ask for the coming of your kingdom. And when we ask that, we're asking for people coming to faith, people coming to spiritual life, Father, people in hearing your invitation. Make your will be done that many will come. Make it because we know that's your will, that none should perish. None should be destroyed. Father, let us let this let, let, let us help us help us to know how to choose you, how to choose spiritual life. Would you unlock to us the beauty of all those benefits? <laughs> uh, no fear of death. Gosh, Father, what would that be like to not be afraid anymore? Now, no, the idea that we could have wholeness of our heart and body and praise, that we could have uh, uh, all that transcendent joy actually coming into our day-to-day drudgery in life. You're such a good, good Father. Uh, Father, would you take this message and will you seal it in our hearts? And will you help those who are having difficulty believing? Will you help those who, who want to believe and don't know how? Will you help those who have believed a long time and who have lost some of the luster and glory uh, and, and have forgotten uh, what it is to unpack all of your many benefits and joy. And would you give all of us, would you give each one of us, would you give all of us together a knowledge, a, a knowing, a, 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 an intimacy a, a with Jesus? We don't really understand it, Father, but we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.